Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Welcome back to Random Troy Radio, episode 399. This is the Ronnie's episode, looking back at the 2020 USC football season, the miraculous Trojans who went 5-1 and one and were runners-up in the Pac-12. We're going to give you the highs and lows, all of those things, here in the form of awards, like we always do. The Ronnie's, the Reign of Troy Awards. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, Omni Studio, wherever you can find podcasts, we are there. You can find our bonus episodes on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. Our email address is Troy at fansetter.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Second What's Bruin Show. Second What's Bruin Show. Good good job there, pal. I was waiting for it, too. And what were you doing? I don't know what happened. There was like, I don't I felt like I, I thought I maybe heard something from outside, and so I was kind of pressing my ear that way and then i just i missed it i was ready for it you're too. killing me, you're <sighs> killing me. just anyway the, the person you hear over there uh is my my great co-host here at the rain of troy studio in los angeles alicia deratola because i'm your host Mario casino see i now i ruined see, even part. i i've ruined everything i've it's taken you off taken you off schedule and so the roddies is like the noddies yeah wait no no that that doesn't work yeah, I, I mean, it does work in uh, maybe too many different ways. Perhaps. But the the point is, uh, Alicia, it is the Red Troy Awards, the Roddies. How excited are you? Um, we are here on the red carpets. Tell everybody what you're wearing. Is it Lewis Button? <laughs> um, what I'm wearing is, uh, I think, is this even, it's not a, is Reebok? I don't know. Jansport. Jans. I mean, it might be Jansport. It's well, a Jansport hoodie. Well, the Jansport hoodie, and then I'm wearing. So, since when does Jansport wear make hoodies? Uh, well, apparently they made them for Air Force. Were you, were you a, a Jansport? Uh... I had a Jansport, but I mean, I, I only had, had a, a Jansport, Jansport backpack. Right? Yeah, yeah, you had to have the Jansport backpack. They were the only backpacks, and uh, <laughs> I feel guilty that I don't have a Jansport backpack anymore. I, I have a. Studying admission, I mean, admission here. There was, <laughs> I laugh because I made fun of people who had these things, and yet I had one for like three months until it broke. The rolly backpack. Yeah. 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 I had friends who had them. I. I I stupidly I had my mom buy me one from like a luggage store, so like it wasn't made for like. Going to school, the thing got all messed up like after a couple of weeks. Oh, because I was that kid who would just like go up the stairs, clunk, 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 clunk. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I righted my ways, Jansport from there on out. Yeah, you got to go Jansport, just the two pockets, and uh, I, I think I always went with blue. Okay. Um, just like your your uh, um, mater, that of course would be Notre Dame. Um, I'm here on the red carpet rocking some Carhartts. We're looking spiffy before we have a tiffy about these Reina Troy Radio <laughs> Awards, the Roddies. Um, and, and we're so happy to do it. Last time we did it, we did it on Patreon. This time it's a full episode. Um, of course, you know that we've got things coming to you guys on Patreon every other Friday. 
patreon.com slash of Troys, where you can get all of our bonus content, including last week we did an Only Skinnect trivia episode focused just on the 2020 season. Yeah, the 2020 Only Skinnect, <laughs> which turned out to be half of a clue in and of itself. <laughs> Spoiler alert, you're going to have to get over to Patreon, patreon.com, to see the full details. But Alicia, let's do this. Let's get into the Roddies. I'm ready. The first award coming up is the Big Balls Pete's Evil Stroke of Genius Award. We have four candidates to win this award. These are moments in USC's 2020 USC football season that, yeah, we're, we're an evil stroke of genius. Uh, first one, the Vavima Alpei seven-yard game-winning touchdown run at Arizona in the dying moments. Not much time on the clock. USC decided to run the ball from the seven-yard line. It paid out. Vi gets into the end zone. There's Talanoa Hufanga playing linebacker against Washington State. There's the deep pass to a double-covered Tyler Vaughn's down the sideline in the dying moments against UCLA to set up a victory on the very next play. And then there's the onside kick against Oregon, which caught everybody by surprise. Um, but SC didn't actually do anything with it. But it was a great moment nonetheless. Uh, last two years, uh, USC's final game has been, the highlight has been an onside kick recovery that they didn't do anything with. <laughs> Special teams moments in that last in that last game. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, it happens. Um, Alicia, these these four candidates, great candidates. They they fought hard to get here. Uh, who are you looking at to to give your vote? Because the way that the voting works here is, we'll explain this. There's three votes. Alicia has a vote. I have a vote, and the Rotbots on our Patreon have a vote. Um, if there is a tie, where we all pick three different things. The winner will be chosen by the Rotbots. So they break all ties. Uh, Alicia, talk it out and then um, tell me your vote. Well, you know I love me some of I'm LFAI, and I do think against Arizona it was smart the way that they used the run. They did the same against ASU on uh, on one of the final drives as well, where this is the way that you run the ball. This is when the defense thinks you're going to pass and then you run. That's how you do it effectively. I wish USC did that more often. Uh, but uh, but I don't think it was like a, a big balls Pete level uh, level thing. That was a basic thing that USC should be doing week in and week out. So I'm not going to give them too much credit for that one. Um, the onside kick versus Oregon and the deep pass to Tyler Vaughn's are kind of interesting because the result of those was so different um if they try that deep pass to Tyler Vaughn's into double coverage and it gets intercepted or it goes incomplete we look at it completely differently so the result very much uh, pays that off and the onside kick versus Oregon if it uh if it had resulted in a USC victory or or uh, had been the difference in that game then I think it would run away with this award so like I think that we're looking at, at things that the results of things are are playing a role in the decision making. Isn't that the name of the game here? Absolutely. If, if SC doesn't recover the onside kick, we're like, what the hell was that? Yeah. That was the stupidest thing of all time. Yes. Uh, obviously, they get it. And so many of these big moments, uh, fair or not, are judged by the results. Uh, you see that especially on third down plays and uh, play calls. Everyone loves a play call that works. Nobody likes a play call that doesn't work. Yes. That, that's just naturally going to be a thing. I, I We can try to avoid that, but that's just always going to be there, right? So I, I think that that's there with all these things. Yeah, uh, but that's also why I personally, I go with uh, Telenor Havanga playing linebacker against Washington State. USC was you know, scraping the barrel, trying to figure out what to do. And, um, you know, I don't think it's, the most extreme, you know, position change that USC has ever done. I don't think it's the the most creative thing that USC has ever done, but I, I did think it was a stroke of genius to say, screw it, we're going to use Hufanga uh, up in, in the box, we're going to make him a linebacker, and it worked to absolute perfection. And uh, I, I think that um, as far as where the decision, regardless of the outcome, the decision to try that, 
I think was was the 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 smartest thing that USC did all season. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good call from a um an inherent schematic scheme. Uh, yes. uh schematic move, chess move, right? Yeah. Um that was definitely one of those things. Uh, I think for me, I'm not going to go in that direction. Um I I look at the big balls like a big balls Peter Ward is about calling your shot. Yeah, that's fair. Being bold and going out and trying to do something. Um, and I think it can only be the onside kick or the deep pass to Tyler Vons. Um, and I put the deep pass for Tyler Vons on here. I, I fought for that being a candidate because that was one of those moments where I, I remember Keaton Slovis going back to pass. Like, what are you doing? Like, you have all these options. You have all this field to play with. Um, and it was a very low percentage pass down the sideline. Tyler Vaughn's makes a great catch. I don't, I'm not going to pick that because I don't necessarily think that, you know, that's a decision that Keaton Slovis makes. It's, it's a, a decision that, that Tyler Vaughn is, is able to read it all right. And, and his ability to go up and make the catch. I don't necessarily think that's a gamble um, in the sense of what a big balls Peter Ward should be. I think it's the onside kick against Oregon. It doesn't work out for SC, but that's the kind of thing that you would laud Pete Carroll for. Um, SC has done it, yeah. It, they did it in the Holiday Bowl, and it was great, and they it should have propelled them to a great second half if Keaton Slovis doesn't get hurt. It They did it in the Pac-12 Championship game, and it should have propelled them to victory. It did not. But it did those things, uh, and because of that, I am going to give the votes uh, to the onside kick against Oregon, and Alicia, let's look at the Rotbots. What have the Rotbots voted for? You have voted for Talanoa Hufanga. I have voted for the onside kick. We have a uh, a pie chart here with the votes from the Rotbots, and this is a very even looking pie chart. Uh, we've got Vi Malapai thirteen point eight percent, bringing up the rear. But the other three candidates here, it was a tight battle. We got 24.1% for Hafanga playing linebacker. We've got 31% for the deep pass to Tyler Vaughns and 31% for the onside kick to Oregon. You know what that means? That means it's a tie. Yeah. Um, we have, in, in, I think in this case, we have to give it to the onside kick. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because it, it's half of the, the Rotbots vote. It's all of my vote. So congratulations to the onside kick against Oregon that ultimately did nothing because USC uh, failed to score afterwards. Is that is that not a perfect uh, metaphor for USC's season, though? It is. Yeah. Like, the onside kick is the 5-0 and record, and the fact that it didn't mean anything is the lost Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Uh, which leads us all into the, I don't know what the hell he's thinking award, uh, there four more categories here. Uh, the first one, uh, Clay Helton not taking the points in the third quarter against Arizona State. Uh, the the second um, nominee is uh, Clay Helton going for two-point conversions early on against UCLA, chasing the points. The third nominee, Talanoa Huvanga running into the punter against Oregon. And the fourth nominee is... Every fourth down run play that USC decided to draw up. Yeah, and I would almost expand that to every short yardage play that USC ran all season. But yes. let's go with four yard, fourth down plays as well, uh, or specifically. Um, so Hafanga running into the punter is just like it's just a bad, it's just a sad moment. Like it's, I don't know if he. I think the problem is he probably wasn't thinking, <laughs> and that's uh, that's the mistake. Um, Helton not taking the points against ASU was annoying, but ultimately USC got out without them. And the two-point conversions against UCLA, again, UC- USC got out without them, so whatever. The fourth down run plays, though, or the fourth down conversions that USC failed over and over and over again, I genuinely don't know what they were thinking. Like, it's the definition of the, of the, of the award. I do not know what they were thinking. Yes. I, I'm right there with you. Are you going to make that your vote? That's my vote, yes. Yes, I will make that my vote as well. Um, because we, we talked about it before. 
Um, and I think that the nice juxtaposition to what if you watch the 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 Chiefs Browns game, there's a fourth down play at the very end. Chad Henney um, ends up. Everyone thinks that he's just you know um, trying to draw the Browns offside, but at the end he actually takes a pass and throws a little one yard hitch to Tyreek Hill. That was the kind of thing that like why wasn't SC doing those type of things? You have this offense that is loaded with talent on the perimeter, um, and has an offensive line that has struggled, notoriously struggled, especially in short yardage. Why do you insist on running the ball up the middle every single time? Play to your strengths. Um, and, you know, Clay Helton's famous quote, um, it's not us about, it's just not us about going under center, right? Um, well, okay, if it's just not you about going under center, then Call up some plays that actually play to your strengths. You know what else is in USC? Getting fourth down conversions on right. on short yardage by yeah. running up the middle. Like, that's right. very not USC. Yeah. So, uh, we both agree that that's the winner here. The Robots agree. It is a sweep. The I don't know what he's thinking award goes to every fourth down run play for USC in the 2020 football season. That's like the equivalent, like getting like the best picture Razzie or worst picture Razzie, though. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. This is true, uh, but here's a good one: the J.D. Booty, John David Booty, underappreciated award for good nominees here. There is Kanai Malga, the USC linebacker who stepped in for Palier Naoteote, who ultimately uh, is no longer with the Trojans. Um, there's Todd Orlando, USC's. New defensive coordinator who jumps in here, uh, taking over for Clancy Pendergast. Had a very good year in his first year, all things considered. There's Nick Figueroa, who led USC in sacks and tackles for loss. And then there's Vivai Malapai, who, spoiler alert, had the most touches of anyone on offense for USC. 50 touches, 50 rushes, led USC in rushing. Wasn't always the greatest running back, but he did his job for SC. Who is your pick? Is this even fair to ask you this? You know who my pick is. Oh, God. You know. You know it. It's Vimal Pei. He is so underappreciated. Everyone clamors for Marquis' step. Everyone derides the running back, uh, the, the, the rushing game. The rushing game was not the fault of the running backs. I will go to my grave thinking that. The rushing game was hindered by run scheme, by run blocking, by all of those kinds of things. And when Vavai Malapai is given the ball, he gets as much out of it as he can possibly get. Uh, he's available in the passing game when they need him to be. I think he is extremely underappreciated as a reliable ru- rusher in this offense. And I think it's unfortunate we don't get to see him in a better rushing offense because I think he'd be a perfectly capable uh, back up there, you know, with, um, you know, I think he's Justin Davis, just as just as good as Justin Davis was in his reliability. It's just Davis got more opportunities in an offense that was more suited. Uh, so that's my pick. Vi is my pick. Y'all knew that was coming. So, <laughs> Well, what people should know is coming is that Vi is not going to win this. I'm not going to agree with you. Um, yeah, Vi did, did his job. Um, uh, especially against UCLA, I thought SC did not run block well. He found holes anyways. Uh, and more power to him, put up 100 yards in that game, um, and really was able to be a, a, a lifeblood for USC when they needed it, despite all odds with this running game that was awful. I mean, they ran for only five yards against Washington State, struggled to run the ball effectively. Uh, 21.2% of their runs went for negative or zero uh, yards. We know this, and Vavai certainly had his troubles there too. Um, not his fault, like you said. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Vavai is definitely a worthy candidate here. But it's clearly Nick Figueroa. Nick Figueroa got to, got on USC's campus last year with very little expectations. I don't think that Nick Figueroa had, you know, the he wasn't uh, a five-star recruit. He, you know, he had been lauded as a good Juco transfer. But it's not like he got to USC with the expectations of Drake Jackson. And what did he do in 2020? He outshined Drake Jackson Big time. And and not to knock on Drake Jackson, there was a change in scheme, obviously. He moves position. But Nick Figueroa was everywhere you ever wanted him to be on the field. 
I think it was the Utah game. He was consistently around the ball and barely had any stats to, to, to his name in that game. And yet he still had seven tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. Both things lead USC on defense. It's definitely Nick Figueroa to me. He is the underappreciated Trojan. Um, and let's go to the Robots, Alicia. They agree with me. I, I don't. I, it's not that I disagree. Nick Figueroa would have been my second. But choice. you're biased, and you got to pick. But Vi. I'm biased, and I got to pick Vi. Well, okay. So here's my here's my argument. The Robots picked Nick Figueroa. Is that not proof that Vi is more underappreciated than Nick Figueroa? Uh, okay, uh, let's not get. <laughs> I suppose what this means, and we're doing reverse psychology, that Todd Orlando is the most unappreciated of everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Congrats to Nick Figueroa. All right, Alicia, this leads us to the worst take of the year award. There's always terrible takes about USC. Always plenty of them. You can go on Twitter. You can go on a message board. You can go anywhere. There's always terrible takes. We have four nominees. Number one, the Pac-12 is to blame for USC not winning the conference. Uh, the second nominee, USC needs and or wronged JT Daniels. The third nominee, the comeback win over UCLA was embarrassing. And the fourth nominee for the worst take of the year award, Talano Hufango was a liability against Oregon. Those are all really bad takes, just to get that out there. Like, all yes. none of these are valid. And, and these are takes that were out there. <laughs> we're so, actually like, out there. They were there. We saw these takes, yes. Um, but I, I think that uh, this has a really simple answer. Uh, I, I might give some thought to the Pac-12 being to blame for USC not winning the conference. Um, just because, you know, I think there was a lot of talk about how the Pac-12 did USC dirty in the Pac-12 title game, which I do think they did. But that is not why USC didn't win the conference. Um, USC didn't win the conference because they didn't win the game that they needed to win, regardless of, of what was in front of them. Um, they got handed a beautiful schedule. Yes. Yeah. They got handed a beautiful schedule. And theoretically, they got handed a worse opponent uh, in, in Oregon than in than Washington. Uh, USC got to skip playing Colorado altogether. So it's not like USC didn't get handed some some benefits there. Uh, but really, when it comes down to it, the idea that USC wronged JT Daniels or that they would have been better off with JT Daniels is just absolutely off base to the 1000th degree. Whatever JT Daniels accomplishes at Georgia is because he's at Georgia, because Georgia came into the season expecting to contend for the playoff. That's the state. That, they got a good offensive line. That, that, well, that's the state that, uh, that, that Georgia is in. Uh, that offensive line is better. Maybe the receiving core isn't better. But either way, Georgia is a better football team across the board than USC is. So putting JT Daniels and any performance that he did with Georgia and comparing it to Keaton Slovis as though Keaton Slovis was bad, which, by the way, he was not, um, as though JT wouldn't have had the same struggles that Keaton did, if not more, because we saw what JT looked like in 2018. The offensive line this past year was worse than it was in 2018, in my opinion, at least. Uh, yeah. So you're telling me that JT would have handled that kind of pressure beautifully? No, I don't think he would have. Uh, so, you know, I all the best to, to JT, but he chose to leave USC. And what he does at Georgia is a reflection of Georgia, not him and USC. Yeah, he transferred before he could compete for the job against Keaton Slovis and I don't think it was a bad thing that he transferred. I mean, this was in the middle of a pandemic. You didn't know that the season was even going to happen. Um, it would make sense for him to transfer and, and get a head start at Georgia. All those things, you know, I, it's all reasonable. Um, I, I think for me, I, the JT Daniels thing, all of it, all of the JT Daniels narratives, nauseating, all of them just flawed the ones that we heard that JT Daniels was terrible, um, don't don't agree with that. JT Daniels was only the coach. I mean, only the um, the starting quarterback because he went to modern day and the 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 Catholic schools pulling the strings on on USC's depth chart. Those were like crazy hot takes that we had to listen to for a little bit. Like, and then the 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 back and forth between. 
Keaton Slovis is great. Keaton Slovis is terrible. JT Daniels is great. JT Daniels is terrible. The vitriol back and forth is just awful. It's completely awful. The, the reality is uh, JT Daniels was put in a place not to succeed uh, in, in 2018. Keaton Slovis took over for him in a tough spot, uh, put together a very good true freshman season, regressed as a sophomore, but even bad Keaton Slovis in 2020 was pretty damn good for being bad, right? Like, yeah. like he was a decent quarterback uh, in 2020 and a big reason why USC did win five games the way they did. Keaton Slovis was a huge part of that. So it's just, I I have no patience for uh, revisionist history or alternate history when it comes to things like the quarterbacks when so much of it has to do with the situation. Would JT Daniels be better off than, than Keaton Slovis? Who knows right now, but the point is it probably wouldn't be much different. He'd still have to deal with the same offensive line. He'd still be dealing with the same things that Keaton Slovis has dealt with. He'd still have to deal with no running game. Like, it's it's it ain't that deep. No. It ain't that deep. So, um, good pick there. Um, I could rail for forever on the idea that the comeback win against UCLA was embarrassing. Um, we've talked about it before. Uh, if you cannot enjoy a last-minute win over your rivals, why are you watching football? Why are you a football fan? Yeah, it's... Like, I understand that, that USC has standards, but this was a year that wasn't even supposed to exist. It was canceled until until it wasn't, right? They didn't play until November. It's a miracle they got on the football field. And we're going to be out here saying that actually that this objectively fun to watch uh, from from a neutral perspective game that ended with USC winning on a couple great passes from Keaton Slovis to Tyler Vaughns and Amara St. Brad actually it was embarrassing because SC should never ever trail or lose to UCLA. Like, come on. I I just uh, this is a it's a line that you have to walk because I, I never want to tell somebody not to be not to feel what they feel right right so if if USC is winning ends up winning a game and you feel frustrated by the way they won it I'm, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong to feel that way but I'm always cautioning people that like if you make yourself miserable when USC w- wins then you're just setting yourself up for even more miserable when USC for more misery when USC loses like right if you can't enjoy the wins on some level, then that's just not an existence that I'm interested in living. For sure. Uh, Talano Rufanga is a liability against Oregon. This one bugs me because there's a, there's a kernel of truth in the idea that there were three big plays that I think if Talano Rufanga makes those plays, the game completely changes. Uh, if he makes the tackle on the first drive, Oregon settles for three instead of instead of seven. Mm-hmm. He has that pick that went through his fingertips that was on that tip drill. Hard play to make. I'm not blaming him. But that would have been his fifth straight game with an interception, and that would have been a huge turning point for the game. Um, and if he doesn't have the 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 penalty against the punter, that's, that's a boneheaded play you take away. But even if he was a liability for SC, he was still probably SC's best player in the game. Yeah. Like, he still made his fair share who, of great plays to make up for those things. Who on USC's team makes those plays? Right. If not him. If like. not Talanoa. So, uh, no, I, I think we agree. Uh, the correct answer uh, for the winner here, um, and the the bots are right there with us, 52, 55.2% agree that the worst take of the year is that USC needs and or wronged JT Daniels. There we go. Uh, Alicia, we are halfway through, almost halfway through. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and get to some more awards in the Roddies, the 2020 season Roddies. All right, it is time for the Chris O'Dowd Unexpected True Freshman of the Year Award. One of my favorite awards that we do here on the Roddies. Um, And in 2020... One of the most difficult to come up with nominees. We knew that this class, not just because it was a low-ranked recruiting class, but we knew that this class was going to have a hard time breaking through. 
because there weren't a lot of gaps in this team that needed to be filled by freshmen particularly. So, yeah, it, it's, it was a particularly tough year to decide, um, especially because we decided to take red shirts out of it. Uh, so well, I don't know that it was a hard year to decide. I not think to decide. The nominees are pretty to, easy to, to pick. nominate. There's a reason we only have three nominees. Yeah, there's only three been... nominees because that's all we could think of that could qualify. Yeah, uh, and we didn't and want that... to throw someone in there that just like just to not even be competitive. Right. Uh, those three nominees, of course, are Parker Lewis, Gary Bryant Jr., and Tuli Tui Pelotu. Parker Lewis. Uh, everyone knows Parker Lewis cannot lose, right? Except when he misses. Yeah. Um, he gets the game-winning PAT against Arizona State. He has a great start to his career. Does miss a, f- a few biggies at some point, um, but still led the Pac-12 in uh, field goal makes and attempts. Uh, Tuli Tui Pelotu um, kind of looked like a clone of his brother, his older brother. He w- He was a big part of USC's uh, offensive line. He had two sacks, two and a half tackles for loss, uh, and he was even more disruptive than those stats kind of kind of speak to. Well, he got a lot more playing time too than I think I expected him to get. But we had heard from the get go that he was uh, a guy to keep an eye on, and it's a it's it's frustrating because you know this was the first year where we didn't get to see the freshman in real life in practice and get to you know say you know no this dude is is, is looking like he's going to actually compete. So by the time the season came around, uh, there he was. And you're right, he does look like Marlon Tupelotu in a lot of ways. But at the same time, he's more explosive than Marlon Tupelotu ever was. The the really nice thing about Marlon was that he came in just ready to stand in there and do the little things right and be uber professional about the way he went about the game. Um, but he always sort of had his level Tuli brings a little bit more dynamism to it. Uh, I'm not saying that he's better than his brother because he's not, but he his playing style is just that little bit more flashy. And so it's really fun to see him in the game and fun to see him make those kinds of plays. It's, it was very, very encouraging for what we're going to see from him uh, in the next couple of years. Yeah, and then there's Gary Bryant Jr., uh, who only had seven catches. He had a, had a run to his name as well. Uh, 51 receiving yards. Not what you'd completely expect, but SC has a bunch of firepower in front of him. And what he'll always be remembered, at least as a freshman, is the big, long kick return to set up the uh, the win at UCLA, um, which was uh, huge for him. Yeah, and the biggest moment is that it's rare that you see in that situation somebody be able to get a big return. Uh, and that was a, a really big moment for him. But uh, more more is yet to come for Gary Bryant. Uh, it's just again, where was a freshman wide receiver going to find space in this offense? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, this is going to be pretty straightforward. Who's your pick? Oh, it's too late to blow too. No yeah. offense to Parker Lewis, but Parker Lewis was also <laughs> speaking of liabilities. At times, Parker Lewis was a liability, and he did hurt USC by his inaccuracy. Um, so Tuli Tupelotu was just a guy who came right in. Parker Lewis was a freshman. Yeah. He was a freshman, yeah. And Tuli Tupelotu came in and didn't look like a freshman. The, the crazy, I'm going to agree with you, um, Tuli Tupelotu, and the Rotbots agree as well with 69, nice, uh, percentage of the votes. Congratulations to Tuli Tupelotu. The Chris O'Dowd Unexpected True Freshman of the Year Award. And for me, the biggest stat here is... This was Marlon Tuipolotti's best season, right? Yeah. Marlon, best season oh, we've yeah. seen from him, right? Yeah, for sure. I'm just going to read to you Marlon Tuipolotti's stats and Tuipolotti's stats, and I'm not going to tell you who's is who's. You just tell me which is which. All right? One of them had 22 tackles, two and a half for loss, and two sacks. The other one had 23 tackles, three and a half for loss, and two sacks. I believe Thule had two and a half. <laughs> we just talked about but, it. But you know what I mean? But, like, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Marlon Tupelotu had a and in a great year. And at one point early on in those first couple of weeks, we were talking about Defensive Player of the Year award in Pac-12. Yeah. And yet his brother nearly matches production. Yeah. As a true freshman. But and that's and that's kind of what I was getting at is that Thule has the tools to find those kinds of stats where Marlon 
uh, or to generate those kinds of stats where I think Marlin finds them and Thule creates them. For sure. Uh, it also probably helped that Marlin drew some double teams. It helps when you're playing next to Marlin, yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go on to the Heltonism of the Year Award. Alicia, the first nominee. The wind, among other things, uh, at Arizona is what caused Keaton Slovis's errant passes. Nominee number two. If USC just ran for 170 rushing yards per game, they'd be a championship team. Nominee number three. This is a 50-point offense. And nominee number four, quote, it's just not us. Uh. Oh, Lord. Um, okay. Uh, how do you even approach these? Uh, the 50-point the offense thing was just a disappointment. The 170 rushing yards thing is... It, it's just so frustrating outside of, like, I get what they're saying, but also what they're saying kind of highlights what they're getting wrong. It's a complete misread of of, of, of how, yeah, of how good offenses operate. They don't operate because they rush for 170 yards on average. They are that good because they are capable of producing actual real rushing results that just so happen to mirror 170 yards. Like, that's it's just a misread of the stat uh, of, of the stats, or at least a misread of the causations uh, for those kinds of things. Um, the, the, <laughs> the wind in Arizona caused Keaton Slovis's errant passes was really just funny because the wet, the, the, the rain the night before the morning of against ASU caused his wobbly passes. Right. And then it was dry and like, perfect weather at it was Arizona. a little breezy and a little breeze they said it was zero, zero yeah. miles an hour yeah so like i don't know like the audacity of that statement was just so frustrating especially because like i felt in the past that usc will spin things to be the most positive answer and i don't mind that because everyone's gonna spin things to, to be the most positive but like that felt like for one of the first times that they were flat out lying to us and they were bad lies for that. Like they could have just said it was just one of those off days for Keaton where, or, you know, we're working with him trying to, trying to get things right. But he just, you know, he, he was just a little off. They wouldn't even admit that he was slightly off at any point in the season. And he was clearly off. So, uh, you know, whatever, whatever they decided, it was just very, very dumb. The problem is it it's just not us is the like quote that's going to go down in history as like the quote that everyone mocks. But like you and I are torn on this too because like we kind of low key agree. Like it's not that we agree, but like I don't mind an air raid team sitting there and saying no, we're just going to do things the way that we do things because the, we the don't problem go under center. The juxtaposition of it's not us. But yet we're going to run the ball up. Yes. Like, well, yeah. that shouldn't be you either. Yeah. Yeah. My my bigger problem is with them running the ball up the middle right. than being in the shotgun. As you said, when we watched the uh, the, the, the Chiefs and Chiefs Browns, and Browns yeah. they were in the shotgun on yeah. those. If key you're going to be a passing team, then throw the ball in fourth down. Yeah. But if you're in those if you're in those key situations and you're in the shotgun, Play to your strengths. Sometimes your strength will be to run the ball because sometimes the opposing team won't think you're going to do it. But if you're in fourth and one and you're in the shotgun and they are loading the box, then you should have an option to just hit somebody out on the outside and go from there. Like you shouldn't be. It's not that you shouldn't be in the in the shotgun. It's that you shouldn't run those plays from the shotgun. So like. While I would give Hilton a pass on the whole this it's not us thing, like the it's not us thing also highlights what's totally wrong with the with the, the mindset of, of of the head coach in that like it's just not us to be in to 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 go under center. But he doesn't recognize that, like we said earlier, like it's also not USC to just be able to punch it down somebody's throat. Now, USC right. Hilton, I think, wants that wishes that were true but everyone else can see it's not true except for him so the way i look at these i i'm, I'm gonna make my pick 
by being true to the idea of things that a coach has to say. Um, the, the wind at Arizona causing Keaton Slovis's errant passes, ridiculous, right? But if you're a coach, you have to defend your player. Yeah. You're going to say some ridiculous things. I get it. Um, it could feel like you're being lied to. He's at least defending a player. Okay, whatever. Um, the 50-point offense thing, I think we all agree. This is a team that could get 40, 50 points a game if they put everything together. We saw it at the end of of November uh, last year, right? When they scored 50 against UCLA, they scored 40 a couple straight times. Like, this is an offense that absolutely can get there, and that they don't is an indictment on on the team, right? So I don't think that's a I don't think it's a bad you know thought because that's where they should be. They're just not there. Um, the it's not us is frustrating because it's one of those moments of self awareness, and I give Clay Helton a lot of kudos for having self awareness to say it's not us about going under center. The problem is he they did not follow through with it. By still trying to run power run plays out of the shotgun, which is not how it works. Like, like that. That's you. You, you can't go half ass there. You can't half measure it. Um. So to me, the answer is the the hundred seventy yards thing because this is the fundamentally thing. Fundamentally, the one that I have the biggest issue with logically, because it was just a complete misread of statistics of scheme, of uh, results, of everything. It's a complete misread of coaching um, the, and, and how teams are put together. Uh, the 170 yards is a byproduct of being a, uh, a byproduct of having an offense that is productive to run the football. It is not a checkbox. You'd like to have 170 yards. Yes, sure. But you have a 170 yards because you're good at X, Y, and Z. Yeah, good offenses have 170 yards because they're good offenses. Correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and let's. Uh, so, your vote. You, you, what are you going with? I gotta go with just it's just, it's just not us. Okay, I am going with the 170 yards. The Robots agree with you. It is just not us. I think either one, honestly, either one fits. I just think the snappiness of it's not us, the quotability of it. It's memorable. Yeah. Certainly memorable. Uh, which leads us to the Dylan McCullough Memorial Coach of the Year Award. Dylan McCullough, one of the most memorable uh, coaching hires in USC football history. These are the four nominees. They're all on defense. Todd Orlando, Vic Soto, Craig Niver, and Dante Williams. Alicia, who fits the bill for being the Deal McCullough Memorial Coach of the Year award? There's only there's only really one option for me, and it's Vic Soto, because I take this as Coach of the Year. I think what set Dylan McCullough apart was how you saw his position group transform to be the best versions of themselves, to be the best version of that position group. And I think that's what we saw from Vic Soto's defensive line. I thought I think we saw to a man, every single defensive lineman was better this year than they were last year. And it's a shame we didn't get to see Jay Tufele in this uh, in this group because I, I would have been fascinated to see what he could have done uh, with Vic Soto tra- uh, training him. So I think from a coaching perspective, it's Vic Soto. I I think that you can credit Todd Orlando with um, a lot of things that made this defense marginally better, but I don't think they were. They were improved enough for him to get that nod. Um, And Dante Williams, I think, you know, USC secondary continues to be pretty decent. Um, I I don't know that they were significantly better than they were last year under Greg Burns. The the big, you know, tip of the cap you give to Dante Williams is the recruiting stuff. But for me, uh, you know, it's not recruiter of the year. I'm going coach of the year. It's it's Vic Soto. I I think that he really transformed that uh, that unit in a really, really positive way, and I'm super excited to see what, uh, what becomes of them as he continues to have an influence. You know, when you, when you first said that that's who you're going for, I thought you were wrong, and then you completely sold me on everything you said. Hell yeah. Be- because I, I think that, you know, you look at it and, and you compare this year to last year, 
the offensive line, I mean, the defensive line took three steps forward. Yes. Despite being without Drake Jackson on the line. Yeah. Despite being with... with without with, J2 Felly. Without J2 Felly, right? Like, they got so much better. Um, and I don't know if that's just about Vic or if it's just about um, the scheme being different. I think a lot of it is, is give and take. Um, I, I think it's hard to say what was Todd Orlando and what wasn't and... What was Vic and what wasn't all those well, things? Because it, it's clearly the, the combination of all those things. The, right? the other thing is, is that it, this is a defensive line that isn't supposed to be the stars of this defense. For sure. There's, yeah. The linebackers are supposed to be coming up and making plays. And he had problems with their linebackers the entire yes, season. So like, sure. this is a hamstrung defensive line that's still doing work despite not getting the support that it's supposed to have for, in a lot of situations. 100%. And then we go back to recruiting and Tulito Pelotu, not a five-star guy. Nick Figueroa, not a five-star guy, but SC is maximizing their potential. Um, and I think that that's really, really, really strong for them. Uh, the secondary was very good. Dante Williams, um, and, and, and this is unfair to him, but I think he inherited a secondary that was already the best unit on this defense. Um, and unfortunately, that makes it hard for me to to vote for Dante Williams because... If we're talking about this as a coach, and Dante Williams, if we're just saying staff member, Dante Williams oh. wins us in a landslide, yeah. right? Yeah, for, yeah. for getting Corey Foreman in terms of for impact. all that stuff, yeah. for recruiting, all of it, 100%. But it's not just that. And as a coach, uh, I thought the, the secondary was well coached last year under uh, the— and Greg uh, Burns. Greg Burns, yep. Um, and— that's not to say Dante Williams did a bad job. Like I think no, Dante Williams did a fine job sure. as a coach, I, a fine job. But to me, but the starting point was was already high. Yes, and to me, the impact on the field, right. I felt more firmly from from Vic. Yeah, and and you look back at what Dylan McCullough did. It was all about establishing uh, different techniques, um, and was always interesting because I don't think I've ever seen the impact of a running backs coach. Yeah, until Dylan McCullough got around. Um, and yeah, the, I, I think that the, the best comparison is Vic Soto, especially when you look at the kind of hire it was. It was going out there, find a guy who has no connections to you or the school, and someone who is an up-and-comer in the profession. That's Vic Soto, and he is my votes. Uh, the Rotbots voted for Dante Williams. I don't have any issue with that either. Again, the recruiting side of it plays a huge role. But the winner of the 2020 Dylan McCullough Memorial Coach of the Year Award is Vic Soto. All right, folks, it is time for the 2020 Rot Play of the Year Award. This is the one where we have a ton of nominees. We actually have six different nominees. Uh, we start with the Brew McCoy Tip Drill TD against ASU. There's the Drake London game-winning touchdown against ASU. Levi Malapai's game-winning touchdown against Arizona, the Talanoa Hufanga self-tip interception and hurdle against Washington State, Drake London's break broken tackle TD at UCLA, and Amon Ra St. Brown's game-winning touchdown against UCLA at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, it's a nice collection of plays, especially considering it was just six games uh, to to pull these candidates out of. What would we have done if it was twelve games? Uh, might have. Might have shortened the list, definitely. More last-minute wins as he would have had. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know it. Um, I mean, there were so many like objectively good, good highlights. The the Brew McCoy tip drill was an objectively great highlight in any season. Uh, the Talano Hafanga self-tipped interception and the hurdle and all that kind of stuff was just excellent. It was classic. Um, really though, really though, and I know. I know everyone has the soft spot for the touchdown against ASU, but like what Drake London did to UCLA is going to go down as one of my favorite plays of the decade. And it just, it being against a rival, it being the way that Drake London had built that reputation up to that point to begin with of just barreling over people. But like, even then when he got that ball, I didn't think there was a chance he was going to get into the end zone. And I don't know, maybe it's been too long since I've watched. I mean, I watched it just a few days ago, but like, I swear he catches that ball at the 20 yard line and goes 20 yards with UCLA defenders unable to do anything to stop him. It's just outstanding. And I know I'm exaggerating that, but like, it just was one of my favorite touchdowns of, of, of the last, uh, you know, 
of the last 10 years easily. Yeah, it's an insane play. Uh, a super long touchdown in which Drake Jackson, ca- Drake, why am I still doing this? Drake London. <laughs> Drake Tony London Drake's. catches it about the 33-yard line. And from there to the goal line, six different Bruins. Well, they're not all different. Some of them are a couple the same dudes. But there's six times where a Bruin defender has a chance to tackle him and does not do the deed completely at least he gets he gets wrangled he gets brought down somewhat and he still fights through it runs through trash just like Dylan McCullough would want him to and I think that's what's really exciting about Drake London is the dude's legs just keep churning yeah I would love to see like show that highlight to Dylan McCullough and just watch him explode yeah, like a running back coach would be excited about yeah. the, the guy running that the, way. And the this dude is a wide just receiver. Keeps his legs moving. Well, I mean, keeps and, his legs turning. And that's the play that I think if, you know, Drake London gave up basketball this year. And I think that's the play where, like, if you're watching Drake London, you look at him and go, like, bro, give up basketball. Your future is in football. Go make a lot of money in the NFL. It's like the next Travis right. Kelsey or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it's it's going to be fascinating to see what he can do uh, as a junior. Are you committing? Is that your pick? That is absolutely my pick. All right. Uh, I am torn here between three options. Uh, certainly the, the broken tackle TD is probably number three for me. Um, not that it's not incredible, but because I, I like to think that these play of the year awards have um, taken incredible play also with some meaning for the pl- for the season or whatnot. Um, Talano Hufanga's Self-tip, INT, and the hurdle against Washington State. I think if this ends up in the end zone, if it's a pick six, that's the play of the year. I think that's fair. It wasn't a pick six. That keeps it out. Uh, For me, though, play of the year is the game-winning touchdown against um, ASU um, to to Drake London. And it's it's really about what it meant, right? Because it was the, the... the first miraculous moment that SC pulls out of their ass during the season. Um, but he catches it one-handed, almost no look. It's not really no look, but like he's got a receiver, uh, a defender all over him. He catches it. Nobody knew that he had it until like three seconds later. It was one of those like, you know, moments that you're going to remember forever if you were at the Coliseum, like one of like 30 of us that were there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it was like, an insane moment and you know you watch it on tv and there's a great gus johnson call that i think was one of those things that i think i'm going to remember forever the broken tackle td i had to look it up to to remember what it was not not that it wasn't amazing but that it you the, were the game winning TD is like in my head immediately. You were still in a COVID haze when that happened. I'm that's, not surprised you don't remember. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I had COVID brain. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, give me the game winning touchdown against Arizona State. Uh, according to the Rotbots, they are going with the broken tackle TD against UCLA by uh, Drake London. <laughs> and I think the interesting thing here the Rotbot votes. Uh, both Drake London plays easy one and two answers. Like like if this was um if this was Price is Right, you oh, get yeah. both of those you're getting like seventy five points. Yeah. So the the big daddies uh from, from Drake London. Uh but Alicia, it is it is the big time of the show where you get into the offensive and defensive MVPs. Let's do it. The nominees for the 2020 Reign of Troy Offensive MVP Award. Quarterback Keaton Slovis. Wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown. Offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker. Or wide receiver Drake London. Alicia, who you got? This is so tough because MVP is always a difficult choice. Uh, You can use so many criteria, right? Like, if I was going to go with the most exciting player like player of the year would be drake london for the offense if i'm thinking strictly most valuable player i think elijah vera tucker is very much in the running there i think keaton slovis can have his say as well 
the, the, uh, the quarterback, I mean... It's always the quarterback. It's a little unfair to yeah. include the quarterback. But there. then again... Strictly d- if we're talking MVP. Does USC go 5-1 and one if they have Matt Fink at quarterback? Probably not. No. Um, does USC go 5-1 and one if they have JT Daniels at quarterback? I will argue probably not. Um, but, you know, it's so difficult because it... it my my decision on this varies depending on what perspective I'm sort of looking at the words MVP. And I think I have to go with Elijah Vera Tucker because he was so irreplaceable. I think I enjoyed watching Drake London the most. I think Drake London might have been my offensive player of the year. But the MVP, you literally could not replace Elijah Vera Tucker. And without Elijah Vera Tucker, I think... Keaton Slovis can't be successful. And if Keaton Slovis can't be su- successful, Drake London and Amon Ross St. Brown can't be successful. And as much as it pains me to say, you take Drake London out of this offense and you're diminished, but you still had Amon Ra. You still had Tyler Vons. You still had Brew McCoy. You still had guys who can make plays. You take Elijah Vera Tucker out of this offense and you are in serious, serious, serious trouble. So he's my vote. That's a, that's a really good pick. Um, I am going to... Hmm. I mean, it's an interesting card to play, but I'm going to play it anyways. I'm going to go with the question. Yes, Elijah Veritaker had a lot of value. Did USC use that value? Did SC make the most of that value? Probably not. No, none of these guys got the most value out of them. Sure. But I think because of that, I think I'm not going to give it to Elijah Veritaker. I think he absolutely was is worthy um, for all the effort he put in, you, you're right. You cannot replace him for what he did on this offensive line. But at the same point, he did all that work on the offensive line, and USC's offensive line still was a liability. And that's not his fault at all. I'm not blaming Elijah Vera Tucker. It, it's more so SC did not use him to to their advantage. And I look at the other three guys, and I think you can make the case that SC used them to their advantage. Keaton Slovis, we talked about it before. He regressed from last year. Um, for you can talk about it in terms of decision making. You can talk about it in terms of his his accuracy, his ball, whatever. Um, and that affected things. But he still made the plays when he needed to make the plays. Uh, the only time he didn't was against Oregon, and that was against a, a team that had its defensive line Molly SCs. Um, so I, I look at it and I know that it's lame to take the quarterback. I understand. And I know that Drake London was insane, but I have a hard time picking a wide receiver when I think if you take away Drake London, there's still Tyler Vons. There's still Amon Ross St. Brown. There's still Brew McCoy. There's Gary Bryant that would have gotten more opportunities. The same, same you can say for Amon Ross St. Brown. And that's unfair to, to really weigh those guys. But I think it's Keaton Slovis, the MVP here, because of what he did in a year in which everyone has said was not his best year. Everyone has said he took a step back, and he still put up numbers in the fourth quarter that were mind-boggling. That's fair. And, and I know it didn't come together against Oregon. He throws that interception where he's throwing off his back foot, and he's trying to throw it away. He didn't get enough mustard on it and all that stuff. I get it. But I think in comparison... He's still the MVP for me, uh, which means we got to go to the votes. You said Elijah Vera Tucker. I said Keaton Slovis. The Robots do not agree with either one of us. Oh, dear. The Robots have crowned Drake London, USC's 2020 Reign of Troy Offensive MVP. By a landslide, I might add. I think... I think a landslide, yeah. If it hadn't been a Huge. landslide, I might have made an argument about how... My selection got more votes than your selection, but the Robots were 58.6% Drake London. So I yes. concede to them. Yes, absolutely. Congratulations to Drake London, uh, which means hopefully at this point moving forward, I, I won't call him Drake Jackson anymore, <laughs> uh, which leads us to Drake Jackson, a nominee on the 2020 Reign of Troy Defensive MVP Award. One of four nominees Drake Jackson is along with Marlon Tuipolotu, Nick Figueroa, and Talanoa Hufanga. Alicia, we're not even going to discuss this. It's Talanoa Hufanga. It just is. 
It just is. I, no offense to, like, so here's the problem. Nick Figueroa led USC in tackles for loss. Big year for him. Drake Jackson was important to USC's uh, pass rush and had that great interception and, and you know, had some some really great moments. Uh, Marlon Tupelotu was essential to that defensive line. He was a, a revelation. But when it comes down to it, Talanoa Hufanga, by far, was the most important player on USC's defense. He was the best player on USC's defense. He was the most exciting player on USC's defense. All of those things that we, the conundrums that we had um, with the with the offensive MVP about how do you interpret MVP and how do you interpret value and all of this kind of stuff, all of it, it doesn't matter in this case because Hafanga hits every single note on that. Um, he was by far the most important player and uh, it runs rightfully away with this as far as I'm concerned. 100%. He gets 96.6% of the uh, Robot votes. Um, and he was dominant. He nearly led USC in interceptions, force fumbles, and tackles for loss as a safety. Yeah. Yeah. He was just outstanding. He he caused turnovers, incredible moments uh, of incredible importance for the defense, he was just everything that you wanted him to be as a, as a as a junior. This was going to be his big year. This was going to be the year. Could we see him play all the way through without getting injured and and all that kind of stuff? And we and we saw him live up to that. And it's why he's an All American. Yeah, consensus All American. Uh, it, it's going to be awesome to see him on that wall. Uh, it's going to be a bummer not to see him out on the field anymore for for the Cardinal and Gold. Uh, we talked about during the season. He had gotten to the point where you could start to think. Is this guy as good as as Troy Polamalu was at this at this point? Like you could start to ha- you could start to ponder it, and that you can start to ponder it is a huge, huge endorsement for what Talano Hufanga did. I, you look back on it, and I don't think that there. And I, I get it; it was a small sample size, six games. I don't think there was a six game stretch that Taylor Mays was this good. I don't think there was a six game stretch that Stuart Cravens was this good. I don't think there was a six game stretch that. Kevin Allison was this good. Tim McDonald was this good. Um, he was, Talano Hufanga, undoubtedly, the, the best USC safety since Troy Polamalu. And I, and that is a hell of a thing to say. And uh, he ends up being an All-American. Um, and it's a bummer we didn't get to see more of him because he ends up having the, the season that, that he kind of only played, what, two seasons? When you look at the half season here, mm-hmm. the games he missed as a freshman, um, the games he missed last year, like, what what if, right? What oh, if? I would have loved to have seen 12 games of Talano Hufanga in a normal season as a junior, what he would have would have done. It would have been spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so congratulations to Talano Hufanga, the winner of the Reign of Troy Defensive MVP Award. Which leads us to our final award, and that goes to who this show couldn't have been done without award, and that is you guys, the Rotbots. Once again, this season was not fun. It was not tough. Not easy. It was tough. It wasn't easy. Uh, This was a season in which... um, uh, there was limited access. Uh, there was a limited number of games. Uh, both Alicia and I got COVID at one point and couldn't even leave the house. Like this was this was a tough season. Um, it was a tough season for USC football in, in in the sense that it was another year of the Clay Helton purgatory and and the narrative that that hovers over this team and makes it frustrating for you guys to. Um, to, to watch games. And I know that, that, that that's a thing. And yet you guys still tune into the podcast every week. And we couldn't be more thrilled that you guys do. Uh, you, you So many of you join us on Patreon, uh, which is still blows my mind that, that that's a thing. We could not do this with any of you. Um, we're forever appreciative. And you guys are the true overall MVPs of Red Troy Radio. The... The RVPs, if you will. Are you trying to make an NVP joke? Yes. Uh. <laughs> Way more valid than NVP, though. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. 
Uh, we'll be back next week with another uh, edition of Red Front Radio, which we talk about the news. There's certainly plenty of it. It'll be episode number 400. Woo! Number 400. Woo woo! Which everyone knows really isn't number 400 anyways, but you know, that's a number. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll get to that then. Uh, thanks as always for listening. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Alicia, you got a final word? The final word is awesome. As in the robots are awesome. Yes, indeed. We'll see ya. See ya. See ya. See ya. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.